Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. So, so, um, so, Friday mo- so Thursday night, I felt fine. Friday morning, I wake up and I sit up and I'm like, the room's spinning. And I'm like, whoa. Like, I feel just weirdly dizzy. And I never feel dizzy. This is not like a normal thing. And so I'm just like, okay, I don't know what's happening. And then um, I tell Chantel, I'm like, I feel like dizzy. And first thing I always do is I drink a big like bottle of water every morning. Drink the water, run to the bathroom, vomit out the water. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, oh, this is it. And in my head, I'm like, this is it. It's the beginning of the end. I'd be like, he felt perfectly fine until that one day. And that was it. And it was just for the next like couple of hours, I was just so dizzy, so whatever. And that's when I texted you because I'm like, dude, I don't, this, this might be it. I mean, one day you will have your last training session and you never know when it is. And I'm like, maybe this is the day. So Did, had you trained prior to fill it for to this? Um, I trained like uh, Wednesday, so this was Friday. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like you had just trained. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was weird because I've been like pretty good about. I've actually. Um, I don't know if you can see, but I've got my little uh, my little whiteboard. I do over I do there. See that? That's awesome. And I'm doing my my latest thing is like I'm working on this idea of I call it low fatigue training. So it's like a way of doing strength training and cardio that that really doesn't fatigue the the nervous system too much. And I'm on day. I just finished day 11. So I've been like pretty good about sort of monitoring this stuff. So I was like, what am I doing wrong? And like just all these different things going through my head. Um, and by the end of the day, I felt like better. And then I woke up on Saturday. I'm like, I feel 100% fine. Like I was almost going to text you and be like, this is trained. But I'm like, let me just give it like, this might just be like adrenaline or something. But I felt fine yesterday. I trained today. Like it was so weird. Because I, I I wish that I was one of these people that it's like, oh, I feel a little sick. One day later, I feel better. Because I'm always like, dude, when I feel sick, it's like a week, week but and a half. But it had to have been something. What do you think it was? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, was I poisoned? Someone, try, someone trying to kill me? This is exciting. And I, mean, I did not have any idea it was that bad when you texted me. It was just kind of like, because yeah. you've texted that before. I've yeah. texted that before. Like, hey, not feeling it. Yeah. Let's reschedule. We'll yeah. link up with some pod. Yeah. And uh, that's how I kind of felt, you know, about the text you sent me. I didn't know that you were on the brink of death. No, I was, I mean, it was weird because I I didn't feel, I was like, okay, I feel aware enough to feel like I'm probably okay. I feel like when you're really done for, it's like, you don't know. And people around you are like, this guy's about to go. Um, So I, (laughs) I didn't feel that bad, but it was just like, I like fell asleep and it was, it was like actually good because it was raining. So I was like, man, I don't want to drive an hour up to the job site. Cause I'm like, it's just, there's too much rain. It's too not, it's not necessary to put myself in a, in what I see as a somewhat risky position of doing that. Um, so mentally I was like, okay, I'm okay with this. And I kind of knew I needed like a, a day of maybe not working out or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well message received. I shall take the day off. But, but yeah, it was weird, but I was, I wish I had more times where I felt like crappy and then felt hundred percent the next day. I'm like, that would be awesome. Cause yeah. I know people that are like that. Like my, my wife is like that. She's like, I feel really sick. Okay. I'm just going to go to the gym and work out a little bit. 
And she goes to like two classes at the gym. She's like, oh, I still feel sick. And the next morning, how do you feel? I feel fine. Wildly envious. There's there's a show, um, a pretty good podcast called, uh, it's the BJJ Fanatics podcast. And he always asks these guys, he's like, what superpower could you have? And everyone's always like, I'd like to fly or I want to be invisible or whatever. And like, I've only heard <laughs> one guy say what is the correct response. I want superhuman healing. I want the Wolverine thing. I want an injury, boom, <laughs> next day, 100%. How could you be a jujitsu guy and not want super healing qualities? I mean, that would be the best thing to have ever. Anyway, so that was <laughs> it. That's all I got. Um, that's a that's a common common um, debate here in our house. As you know, I have a ten year old, and yeah. the question is every day since the day he's been able to talk is what superpowers uh, are the best and what superpowers do you want? So. It used to be uh, read people's minds. Now it's yeah. mind control. It's kind okay. of a villain power. Yeah, it's got, it's kind of you kind of cut to the chase that way because reading their mind, then you still got to figure out okay, how can I control this? You person? still can't. Yeah, you still can't stop. It's like yeah. I'm about to destroy the world. It's like yeah. oh, okay, well at least I know where to hide. I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. But now you're like, how can I how can I use this guy to my advantage? You know, I like it. <laughs> I like it better. Mind control that is good too, but I still I'm going to be selfish and take super healing. Yeah, gonna... yeah. Yusuf would say, um, well, see, so, and Yusuf went, th he went through the whole, uh, I just want to be indestructible. Mm. Indestructible. That's another way of saying it. More, more, yeah. uh, more robust, or as Nicholas Nassim Taleb would say, more anti-fragile, mm -hmm. which uh, I would, I would like that. Um, but uh, we'll see. I feel overall You're, for, yeah. for 48 years old, I'm doing all right, man. I really can't uh, complain too much. Had some good training in today. Had a, Colby and BT training together for the first time in like wow. seven years. So um, theoretically, I gave both those guys their black belts too. So it's like kind of like, oh, look, you know, my, <laughs> my two boys who can both beat me up or beating each other up instead <laughs> is very nice. So, um, because, uh, and then Sean moved schools too. I don't know if I told you that, but. You, yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you been to the new school? Yeah, so we were there today. Um it's uh, it's nice. It's not done. So we still got to finish up the bathrooms and then um, do some other stuff and put in the boxing ring and all that. But it's definitely a much nicer shopping center. And you can always tell by like, so the old one had like, it was a 24 hour fitness that turned into a habitat for humanity. There was another gym that was kind of like a $10 a month gym. And there was a lot of people walking by that uh, I would describe as riffraff, maybe. Like a lot of guys, they come in, they try the door a little bit, they look inside, like a lot of real sketchy looking people. But this new place, there's not one, but two like sort of hipster, Korean, Mexican fusion restaurants. There's a really nice coffee place that I, I was texting you. Like I, was, I went to this coffee place. There's a good little, like nice, cool coffee place right there in the same shopping center. So I'm like, and, and it's kind of tucked back in the, Sean's school is kind of tucked back in the corner. So I'm like, this is going to be much better. I'm going to feel much safer about my car. In, uh, very nice. Very nice. So, uh, so. And the last school, Sean had quite a large mat space. Still still the same size? It's big. I think it's a little bit smaller, but it's pretty close. It's wow. pretty close to the same size. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's nice. I, th I think it's going to be, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to picture when it's done. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be done in a couple of days. And I'm looking around the construction. I'm like, no. <laughs> I've been there. I've been in that position where I'm like, oh, it's almost done. In construction, 
almost done and done or a very, very wide chasm. It seems like, <laughs> yeah. like it should almost be done because when you do the beginning stuff, like there's almost, front, and actually you're right about that. In construction, yeah. there's only two things. There's done and not done. There's yes. no almost done. Yeah, the re it's really true because, well, the thing is, is you see progress differently. So like when um, the place, something's being like framed up, you're like, ooh, they're building the thing. And then they, you know, they put the plywood or, or the sheetrock or the hardyback or whatever it is on it. And they put tile and they do this and they're like, oh my God, like it's now a thing. But it's still not something you can use yet. Like it's still one of these things that it's like you still got to do this and this and this and this and all these little things. And it's like that seems to take way longer because the changes are much more subtle mm -hmm. than when you go from like, you know, a new construction, like just empty ground, breaking ground and framing to, OK, now we got to finish the bathrooms and put flooring and do this and do that, all of which doesn't take that long. But it all has to get done. And it's it's. uh yeah, I'm going through that with the uh, the office we're building in the warehouse, which is supposed to be done on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And it will not be. It's actually probably a race. Is my office going to be done or is Sean's school going to be done sooner? I don't know who's going to win that race. <laughs> I hope that I win it, but I don't know if I will. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 always um, it's always stressful that way. But uh, hey, man, creating stuff takes time takes patience. There's a reason why most people don't want to do it. Doing it right takes time for sure. It does. It yeah. does. Doing it right takes time for sure. I was just having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago and we were talking about progress and I was saying you can get lucky overnight, but you can't get good overnight. Yeah, good overnight doesn't exist. Good overnight yeah. takes time, experience, wisdom, failures, all that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why um, I always tend to like people that have struggled more at first it's hard for me to listen seriously to young successful people even though that sounds dumb because i mean they're younger and more successful and sometimes they do really have some great insight but they don't have the experience of the failure and wanting to quit and the stakes i think get a little bit higher when you get older too because you have more responsibility like you're a young person it's like you know when i was in my 20s i wasn't responsible for anybody else technically myself but even that was always doubtful um but it's like you know now it's like i've got i mean i don't have that much i've got my wife and my dogs and that sounds ridiculous to a lot of sane people but to me it feels like a lot of uh, responsibility in terms of not letting them down and stuff like that and then it's also just as you get older i think your friends if you're surrounding yourself like we always talk about with the right people your friends are going to expect more of you because if you're kind of like bumming around and not doing stuff or you get on a rough streak or you become like some miserable alcoholic, if you're around the right people, they should be highly disappointed in you. So you should have that that sort of pressure of, of being the best version of yourself. And that doesn't mean like you've got to have the best car and do this and that. It's like that's not, in my opinion, not the best version of somebody. It's more, you know, are you doing the things that, that you should be doing? Are you meeting the obligations that you've set for yourself? So that there's that sort of that's a good kind of peer pressure. I think it's like we always talk about peer pressure being a bad thing. But if you surround yourself with the right peers, you still should have a certain amount of pressure. Yes, I was just having a conversation with Yusuf about this the other day and we were talking about leadership. And I and I told him, I said, you can always kind of tell if you're being a leader or not. And the way you tell that is, are you making the people around you better? Bottom yeah. line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's just. Um, 
so yeah, show me your friends, show you your future, all that type of thing. And constantly monitoring, right? Like, are the yeah. people around you making you better? Are they making you worse? Yes. And that's all relative and subjective. But whatever your definition of better is, um, are they helping you do that? Are they helping you get closer to your goals? And likewise, are you helping them get closer to theirs? Are you bring? Are you the one yeah. that's actually bringing yeah. them down, right? Yeah, like, that's they need true. to cut you loose. And, you know, I have that conversation with Yusuf a lot. I'm like, hey, we're always talking about – but we're always assuming that you're the good guy in the group, yeah. that you're the yeah. guy. How do I, like, we don't actually know you might be yeah. the guy that's holding them back, Yeah, you yeah. know? And yeah. that's a good type of peer pressure. Like, okay, you got to, you're the one who actually actually step up your game Yes. and bring something to the table because you're yes. surrounded by all these great people and they're helping you. Uh, and what do you, what do you kind of bring into the bring? table? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's really important. And I think that's, uh, you know, we've said this many times, like, I really think that be it business, be it jujitsu, whatever it is, surrounding yourself with that good group of people, and we'll just call it like training partners, I always think is more important than having like a good instructor, because I think you're going to learn way more from training partners and, and business associates than you ever will from like a mentor type thing. I mean, you can learn stuff from a mentor, but it just my experience has always been the training partners are the key. It's just, and the good thing too is that I think it's. I think the only well, time a mentor benefits you, really, in all honesty, well, I, I, I always speak in like real definitive. The only time, not the only time, but like a mentor really benefits you, I would say, is when you know, when you're starting from zero yeah, and you know nothing. You don't even know what direction to yeah. start. You don't know to go, if you should go north, south, east, west. You don't even know what direction you're facing. Yeah. Then yeah. a mentor is really going to help you. But once you begin to gain some sort of knowledge, then I agree 100%. It's more about like peers and synergy and like tinkering together now is what yes. I would call. At yeah. one point you're tinkering by your kind of by yourself. Yeah. And then at some point you want to tinker together yeah. um, to get further faster. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's one thing I love about our friendship is we have not only jujitsu and boxing and MMA, but also the, the tinkering of business ideas and, you know, things that we both enjoy, things like real estate, things that you enjoy more than I do in terms of like running a business and dealing with employees. I don't enjoy that as much. <laughs> um, but, you know, things that I might enjoy that maybe you haven't jumped into yet, like commercial and, and things like that. Like it's yes. that I think is really interesting to talk about. Um, and I think that's another thing that people should think about, too, is that you want to talk to people that are successful in businesses other than your own. Because a lot of times that can help you figure out things you can add to your business uh, in terms of marketing and stuff like that. Like I think like one of the biggest mistakes people make is, you know, let's say you're in the jujitsu business and you're only talking to other jujitsu people about how to market a school. And it's like, well, you're just going to try and do the best version of what everyone else is doing versus, you know, you could venture out and see what the Taekwondo guys are doing or whatever. But you also might see, OK, what is uh, something like, let's call them nice guy painting what are those guys doing? Like, let me see what a painting company or construction company is doing, or, you know, a lawyer's office or, or that kind of thing, because it might be, how are they marketing? It might be, how are they retaining students or clients or whatever you want to say? Like there could be a lot of different things that you could learn from other businesses. So I think that's, and again, it brings it back to jujitsu. This is one of the best reasons to do jujitsu because you will meet people in a wide variety of businesses that you probably would not meet otherwise. And then you can talk to them about said businesses after I love that, the crap out of each other. So it brings um, up but, the first principle thinking. I 
we recently hired a uh, manager for a nice guy in yeah. Crescent Cleaning. Yeah. And we were having a brainstorming meeting, and she's a she's a very talented talented person. Um, she does yeah. a, a, a multitude of things very very well. She's also a very good writer. Oh, nice. That's and good. so she had been volunteering to like write some copy uh, yeah. for us and and do a newsletter for us, and um, she wanted me to send her some examples of newsletters that I liked. Mm. And originally, like two years ago, a year ago, that's exactly how I would approach every situation. Like I don't know what I'm doing, so let me look at someone else who's done it, yeah, and figure it out. But what my advice was is don't look at any newsletters. Yeah. Don't look at any newsletters. And it's first principle thinking because all you do is exactly what you said, Carter. Yeah. You're going to make a better version of what someone else already created. Yeah. But how do we even know that's the best way to do it? Yeah. Simply, are we are we simply saying, well, that's the way it should be done because that's the way it's always be done. It's yeah. always been done. Yeah. But how, but if you don't look at what someone else is doing, you might create something new, authentic. You might set the trend. Yes. Right. And yeah. you're so right. That's almost the argument of why you shouldn't watch YouTube jujitsu. Yeah, I agree. Because you'll just figure out a better way of doing something that someone else has already done. Yeah. But if you're just not like if somebody just puts you in the middle of nowhere with yeah. two or three people and you're on, you're on an island somewhere, there's no TV, yeah. there's no radio, there's there's nothing. There's just you and three other people that do jujitsu. Yeah. You will be essentially creating stuff, mm -hmm. you know, that's authentic to you. Now, yeah. does that mean someone didn't create it somewhere else in the world? Maybe they did, yeah. but you didn't know about it. It was independent of them. Yeah. Right. And therefore you'll, like we've always said, you'll understand it better in a way that you would never be able to understand it if you just saw it on a video. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that discovering stuff for yourself is, is the, those, the things that you're going to know the best. And and learn the best of the things that you kind of self-discover. So yeah, no, I think that's important. And um, what else was I gonna say with that? There was something else, I forget. Yeah, it's almost hard to be authentic. And that, that's what I would say, like that's a real big, that's really, really big for us in business and just in life, being authentic. Yeah. And it's very hard to be authentic when you're constantly focused on what the people around you are doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely true because it's like, whether you want to or not, you're gonna be influenced by that. And you know, jujitsu is a good example of this. Where when I started, they would always say it takes about ten years to get a black belt, and people just sort of accepted that, and that was almost sort of a bragging thing because you take other martial arts, people can get black belts in a couple of years, and the idea of like, okay, jujitsu is so much harder and more complicated. But then I started thinking about it when you take other grappling sports like judo and wrestling. I mean, you can have a guy who is you know starts wrestling when he's like twelve. And by the time he's 22, he's the best in the world. So in 10 years, he goes from complete beginner to the best in the world. And that's not what they were saying with jiu-jitsu. Like, well, you can get a black belt. You won't be the best black belt, but you'll be a black belt. And it's like, well, that kind of shows something might be wrong with some of the teaching methods. Because why is it taking somebody so long to really get to sort of like the advanced basic level? I mean, like, I certainly don't think that most black belts that I know are like, masters of jiu-jitsu it's like you've just gotten to a certain level so it's like that should raise questions on everything like okay why are they warming up the way they warm up why are they teaching stuff the way they teach and the reality is again i think most people learn from their training partners maybe learn you know they sort of find things that work for them and they they develop that 
And that's not usually with their instructor. If it is, the instructor kind of encourages a little bit, but doesn't do that much because um, it it shouldn't take that long to get good. And the other thing too, when we're talking about like something like wrestling, most of those kids that, that wrestle, they just wrestle for the wrestling season. They might do a little bit of stuff or go to camps and stuff like that, but it's really only like three or four months out of the year that they're wrestling. And yet you can take a kid, go through high school, go through college. That's, you know, eight years of wrestling. They're like an elite level wrestler. So like, why is it, you know, you take yourself, you started boxing within what, six, seven years, you were nationally ranked, right? I mean, how long did mm -hmm. it take? So, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, match. six, seven years. I mean, no big deal. It's because he's Mo. I mean, it's mostly <laughs> easier. Fifth in the nation. Boom. Um, but I mean, that that's that's an incredible thing. And and because it, it's not looked at in boxing, like, okay, it's going to take you 10 years to get to a certain, like, because people would run out of time in these other sports. It's like if a kid starts boxing when he's 12 and it's going to take him 10 or 15 years to master it, it's like, well, that's, that's maybe a little bit too long to think if they really want to make a run at it versus if it takes about five, six years to know like, okay, you really have what it takes to go pro. Now they're still at the age where that's appropriate. So it's, yeah, I think all these things, it's good to question just because it's been done a certain way, does it need to be continued to be done this way? So, uh, I mean, I think that's, and that's important to reevaluate all the time too. I mean, I think with, we talked about friends, groups, it's important to reevaluate your friends as things go on. Some people go a little kooky. Some people make incredible improvements. Like you need to reevaluate your social group from time to time. Um, and real, and even I would say I was always real big on that, right? Like reevaluating the social group. But and it didn't it didn't come because I'm some Boy Scout and I was like, no, what about me? It came mainly because I was talk I, like mentoring my son, coaching my son. Mm -hmm. And one day I just said, you know, we're always talking about your group of friends. Yeah. Why aren't we ever talking about you? Like, yeah. how do I know yeah. you're not the guy yeah. that's bringing everybody down? And Seriously. I think that everybody needs to ask themselves that question. Yeah. People are always like, I need to evaluate my friends. Yeah. I would say like to Mo, like, dude, yeah. I need to look in the mirror and be like, how do I know I'm not the, the, you know, the dirt bag in the group yeah. that's yeah. bringing everybody down. Right. Yeah. Um, so always, I would say, man, always evaluate yourself first. Yes. And then evaluate the people around you. It's true. It's true. And actually, it's and it's your funny. friends will tell you a lot about who you are as well. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, it's funny. I, I I was thinking about this a lot, and I texted you sort of a little cryptic text. And and I've told you this story before, but I always like to re think about this story on this particular day. And this is it's nice that we're podcasting today, October thirtieth, because today is the day um, that the reason I have you in my life all the people we're talking about training with today, the very strange, bizarre, cocoa bashing threads that you are unfortunately a part of some of them, but not <laughs> all of them too. There's multiple text threads. There's like oh, six, three goodness. or four of them that Kevin has where it's just like, it's midnight, I'm gonna bash cocoa for a while and then boom, he just jumps in. <laughs> but there's a reason and that, and that reason all stems back to October 30th of 1993, a scant 29 years ago and only about two weeks before the very first UFC, November 12th, 1993. Um, but it always makes me think about that because I, I look at, um, you know, BT was here today and he was talking about BT played college basketball on a scholarship. Like he could, he's won dunk contest before. Um, and he, BT? He, yes. And if you ever see BT's hands, like Colby, our friend Colby is a big. Dude, that guy. Is not even, he's not even that tall of a guy. That's amazing. No, he's not. But I mean, he's BT is a, a high level athlete, and his hands he's gifted. 
Well, it's well. So, like, if you ever see his hands, like Colby is a big guy. Colby, our friend Colby is about six four, about two hundred forty pounds. BT's hands made Colby's look like little baby hands. Like BT's thumb is so it's it's his hands are enormous. So he could that helps in dunking because you can palm the basketball, so you can do all sorts of fancy stuff. So we got BT. Colby also played Division One baseball on a scholarship baseball pitcher. Um, you know, you got Brandon in the mix. You got Jeff, college wrestler. You got you know, Brandon, high-level Taekwondo guy. Had to retire because no one wanted to fight him anymore, basically. So that's how he ended up. We got our boy Mo here, fifth in the nation. We have all these guys. And then we have me. And I'm always like, because I ask myself this all the time. I'm like, how the hell did I end up here? We got Kevin, Texas Ranger, blah, 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 elite-level law enforcement. You know, one of the hardest law enforcement things to, to promote up to and all that. And then we have me. And I'm always like, I'm the weak link here. Why is anyone taught? Like, why is anyone listening to me or whatever? And like, how did all this happen? Because this was not my life's trajectory until this day, October 30th, 1993. So what happened? Um, I was living in uh, part of Los Angeles that was called Palms. And Los Angeles in the early 90s was actually the most violent time of the city's history. Like a lot of people are always like, oh, times are so violent now. And it's like, Historically speaking, they're not at all. But even recent history in the United States, especially in the Los Angeles area, is not true. Like the early 90s were the most violent time. And so this is 93 and I was living in Palms and um, Palms was not a great neighborhood then. It was not a great neighborhood even when I lived there again, like I think I lived there again like 10 years later. And my roommate at that point went walking one night and somebody stabbed him. Um, <laughs> I had to take him to the hospital. Like, I mean, Palms That's is great. not, it might be nice now, but it, it historically was was known. And people would be like, oh, you live in Palms. It's cheap. That was what everyone said. Like, that was a nice way of saying it. It's, it's affordable, very affordable neighborhood. So, um, so I lived <laughs> in this neighborhood. And, and I, relevant to this story, um, I have shaved head. I've had a shaved head for a long time because... I'm just not a guy who does well with hair. And at the time I had like, you know, remember Kurt Cobain, the guy from Nirvana, like mm -hmm. his hair was kind of down. Was, I had a little bit of that. You had the grunge I had, look. I had the grunge look. I was 19. I had like, like my hair was like down covering my face all the time because I was moody and thinking about, you know, flannel or whatever I was thinking about. So I had, <laughs> I had really stupid hair. And um, on this particular night, I was very sad because the actor River Phoenix had uh, died from a drug overdose and uh, he had collapsed in front of the Viper Room, a nightclub I would end up working at years later, but another story. Um, so I was very sad and I didn't have a car back then. And I was living with five guys that were just like, they smoked pot three times a day. They were drunk every single night. Um, they, none of them seemed to have jobs either. I don't remember how they were paying for school or whatever. They're all students at UCLA like I was. So I was like, okay, I am sad about this event of River Phoenix dying. These guys are already halfway drunk on another Saturday night and I, and I was not a drinker. And so I'm like, I am going to walk and clear my head type thing. I was a big walker back then. And so I came out on um, Venice Boulevard, which is a particularly not good street and a particularly not good neighborhood that I lived in, but I was young and naive or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm walking along and I see these two guys walking towards me. And this is a, a self-defense tip for people. If you see two people walking towards you and they split, so one starts going on your left side and one goes on your right side, this is a bad situation. I think they call that triangulating in law enforcement or, or <laughs> flanking or whatever. 
When you're the flank, it's not good. You don't want to be the flank. <laughs> I was the flank. Didn't know I was the flank. And I had hair in my face. So now I can't see. I got two guys going. The guy on the left must have thrown just an overhand right or whatever. He, I did not even see the punch coming. Next thing I know, I'm looking up at this guy. They are beating my ass. And then they take my wallet. Now, I will say very nicely, as they were leaving my, my wallet, I said, can I at least have the wallet back? They took the probably $5 I had in the wallet, threw me the wallet back. I do appreciate that because having to having to get a new driver's license when you your your only ATM card, your only source of getting money, it's a real pain in the ass because it's like I don't think I had a checking account back then or whatever. So it's like you have to convince the bank that you are who you are to get money, so then you can go get your driver's. It's a because I've lost. So they my weren't all bad. They yeah, that's true. It, it, there was a silver lining. Um, so, and I remember like. So I'm bleeding and whatever and walking along and still like, and I'm like super pissed. And I'm seeing other people walk along the street. I'm like, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why didn't they pick that guy? Why didn't they pick that guy? And I'm like, I, I started realizing like, I am a good target. Like I'm an easy target. I'm walking along, I had stupid hair in my face. And I was real skinny back then. And for a young guy, like you don't want to be a target. Like no, no, nobody wants to be a target, but, a, but a young man at that age where you're real, at least I was very sensitive about that stuff. It was very disheartening and, um, very depressing. And I, I came man, back that's to a traumatic. That's a very traumatic incident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I came back and I told nobody what happened. Cause I came back, my, my roommates were so like, just drunk all the time. No one even noticed. And I wasn't going to tell them. And like, I had nobody to talk to about this at this point. Like I wasn't going to, my parents lived across the country and I wasn't very close to them anyway. Um, I told like one buddy of mine, his answer was like, you should just get a gun, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I feel like I wouldn't have been able, I feel like they would have shot me with my own gun if in, in that situation. Or I would have been like, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But it just it didn't feel like that was the answer. Um, and ironically enough, you know, like two weeks later is when the first UFC came out. And I heard about Hoyce Gracie and, you know, skinny Brazilian guy, like about my size, beating up these people. And, and I decided like right then and there, like I'm going to learn jujitsu. And I didn't even know what jujitsu was. Like I, I didn't see the UFC. I just heard about it and heard that this guy beat up all these guys. And I'm like, well, he's probably not getting mugged. I'm going to learn what he knows. He's doing the mugging. He's doing, he's, he's, yeah, exactly. So, um, so it was funny because it, it was one of those things that, um, it did lead me to jujitsu, but, but I had like a lot of revenge fantasies in my head for a long time, especially when I started doing jujitsu. Cause I'm like, Oh, he was up here. I would have swept him and done this. And then this guy, and then I would have heel hooked him and made him scream in pain. And I would go through these scenarios and, and it made me super super paranoid about ever being surprised. And, and that's something I still carry to this day. Like I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty hard to surprise when I'm walking around because I'm always head on a swivel. Um, but like for a long time, I looked at it as like, like you had said, like, oh, this is this traumatic event. And this is like the worst thing that ever happened to me. And like, if I ever find these guys, da, 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 like all this, even though it was super dark, I couldn't have, even that like an hour later, I wouldn't have recognized who they were, like much less, years later, like there was in my, um, you know, my, my, uh, my, my revenge fantasy type of head. Um, but then at some point I started realizing 
I'm like, this was actually the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Because I think that a lot of guys, and I've met guys like when I work, especially when I work in the film business, where I'm like, how have you gotten to be the age you are with like no consequences? Where they just mouth off to someone and no one punches them in the face. Where they just do whatever and nothing happens to them. And then you see these videos on YouTube where the guys are just jawjacking and they're jawjacking to the wrong dude. And you can tell it. And all of a sudden the dude just lays him out. And the other guy, as they're losing consciousness and sometimes losing their life, has to be thinking, oh, I never thought this would happen to me. Like this weird, I just, I've met a lot of guys like this in my life where they just mouth off to people. They just do whatever. And there's never any sort of violent consequence. And I'm incredibly thankful that there was a violent consequence to me being naively in the wrong place, to me being able to be flanked, to me being able to be surprised and not being prepared. Um, because it did lead me to jujitsu. And then that led me to all the real relationships in my life. And always being aware that bad things can happen to you if you're not prepared. And even if you are prepared, they may still happen to you. Um, but I know that I would be a lot harder to sneak up on now than I was 30 years ago. Um, but it was interesting, you know, we've talked a lot about stoicism and one of the tenets of stoicism is learning how to reframe things. And to me, this is an example of reframing something because for many years, I really did look at this as like this traumatic thing that spurred me into something. And now like someday there would be some sort of comeuppance or whatever. And then at a certain point, I realized like this was a gift from, from God, from the universe, whatever you want to say to put me on the right path. Like this moment put me on the right path in a way that nothing else would have. Like I always hear people like, oh, I just tried jujitsu for the first time and I was hooked. I'm like, I've never felt that way. I've always felt like it was an absolute necessity in my life. And this is why the idea of quitting, it's just, it's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen for me because it's not about fun or whatever. There's, there's this underlying current of necessity because of what happened in that moment. And I'm very thankful for that because it's it led to relationships that are real. Like the friendship that you and I have is real. The relationships with those guys today is real because you can't fake on the mat. Like you can't fake jujitsu. You can't fake boxing. You can't fake these things. And I look at a lot of other people and they, you know, oh, these guys, they golf together and they talk shit about football together. And it's just, it always seems so lame to me. Like I hear guys who like probably never even played football to, oh, he's got to pass and do this. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. But when you look at like fighting or wrestling or boxing or MMA or whatever, and it's like, we kind of do this with each other so we can kind of appreciate, okay, he's doing this. Like, I'm not saying that you can, you know, we can beat these guys or whatever. We at least know what they're doing. We've at least experienced it, and that's real. And that not that would not have been my path had that night not happened. Like I was not going in that direction. Like all you other maniacs, it makes perfect sense. Fifth in the nation in boxing, you're like, what yeah. else can I do? What else can I master in eight years? Boom, jujitsu, got it done. Um, you know, somebody like Colby, it's like you listen to Colby talk about his high school. It's like 
did you do anything other than fight in high school? Because it sounds like you made, like that's all you did. I mean, you, I listen to all the other guys that I'm friends with and I'm like, they were already on the path of a type of violence and then it was able to be funneled in something that more civilized, whatever you want to say. Like I was not headed on that path and this bumped me into this path accidentally or however you want to say, fate. And I'm immensely happy for that. So it's always like every year when this day comes around, I'm always, for the first like almost 10 years, I was still mad about it. And now like, man, I'm so happy that that happened. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It 100% changed my life. And do you, people, think, so. do you think that some people are, are born uh, that way or is that, or is that a developed trait where because there's usually one of two things happen in those types of incidents. You can either become a victim and you're just fearful your entire yeah. life. Yeah. Or um, you be, you become empowered. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think they So the, you, you, you could have chosen the, the latter and yeah. said, I'm just going to be fearful my whole life and trap myself inside my apartment where I know I'm safe yeah. and live in the basement and be, I can run business from the computer and yeah. all that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but you didn't. You you tr you attempted to control what you could control. Yeah. So where did that come from? Did that come from anywhere? Or do you think you were just born to think that way? And is that how most people like are people predestined to have the victim mentality? That's a good question. I mean, I think that um, I don't know if predestined is the right way, but are they are they just. Are you are you wired in a way to be a victim, and are you wired in a way when traumatic incidents happen to you that you will see it as a like this is the best thing that could have happened to me? It's it's a good question because I mean I think that obviously a lot of it had to do with circumstance. Like again, the time that's why to me the timing is so interesting because it literally less than two weeks later you had the first UFC, and if the first if the UFC hadn't come along, like I, I wouldn't have found jujitsu. I don't think I don't think most of us would have. Um, so the timing of that literally being within two weeks of that starting, it, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, the fact that Hoist Gracie was the same size as me was another big thing because I always, always looked at, you know, we grew up in the eighties, like you're Arnold, you're, you're Sylvester Sloan, you're, you're jacked. Like, that's how you, that's how you defend yourself. You just, you just lift weights, bro. And like just throw the guy or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you're bigger, you win. And then Hoist is like, no, you actually, there's, there's actual skill to fighting. And it's Dude, not that is so true in the eighties, like before yeah. that, like everybody thought that if you were doing anything, it was like legit Cobra Kai karate. Yeah. That, yeah. that people were like, people actually thought if you knew karate, yeah, that that guy is. And then the other thing was, yes, exactly. Like you're either Arnold or you're, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. You're just, if you want to be a guy that's um, respected, feared, whatever you want, bullyproof. Yeah, you, muscles. You, you, yes, you got to have a lot of muscles. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because it's like, you know, that's, I had started like lifting weights the year before and like I, I was convinced that I was like, okay, because I'd always been an insecure kid and I didn't, I wasn't like Mo, I wasn't fighting all the time when I was a kid, like a young ruffian here, Mr. <laughs> Siddiqui. Um and so I, I was not, I did not have confidence in my, my fighting skills. So I'm like, well, I'll just get muscular and therefore no one will bother me because they'll just see the muscles. And it's so funny because like most of the guys that I know that are the biggest dudes get, shall we say, invited to the most fights. Like one of the biggest dudes I've ever known, like I've watched people try and pick fights with them right in front of me. And I'm like, 
are you insane? Like, but I, so I don't know. It's funny. Like what I thought was going to be the answer was just big muscles. It's like that would have led to um, more bluff calling than I realized at the time. But we were, you know, just by the product of the, the movies that we were raised on, we were always, always like, oh, the big dude, they don't get picked on. It's the little guy that gets picked on. And um, yeah, it's just so I, I think that's that's another great thing about the UFC is it sort of taught people the realities of, of real fighting is not what people thought it was back then. So. Um, so, yeah, I don't know to answer that question. I mean, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things like when people talk about obviously this is not nearly as traumatic as something like a war, but. To me, it's always interesting when you hear people that have not been in war talk about how they what they would do. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like the honest answer is you have no idea. So it's like one of those things when something traumatic happens, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. Like, unfortunately, you got to wait till it happens and then and then you're going to find out. Um, I knew I never wanted to feel that way again. Like I would do whatever it took to never feel that way again. That's what I knew. And I knew, and I've told you this before, this sounds extreme, and, and I don't mean it to sound extreme, but it is extreme. My, my mentality since that day has always been that if I ever get attacked again, one of us is not living. Either me, the guy who attacks me, or me, one of us is dying in that encounter. And that has been my mentality ever since then. And it's not, I don't mean that in a macho way, I don't mean that in whatever, it's just like, so it's actually kept me from starting things, because I'm like, I, I don't want to... I don't want to die and I don't want to kill somebody. So, but I, I feel like it has probably prevented me from, from certain things happening as well. Um, obviously the cauliflower ear has helped as well. I think that is, uh, that has added a little bit to certain things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, um, I, I'm always very thankful for this, uh, for this day when it comes around because it's, um, I was thinking about that today, just watching BT. It was life changing. It was totally, and people, I, I always hate it when people say, like, you'll see this in like Tony Robbins seminars or like Tony Robbins changes somebody's life in five minutes. It's like, dude, you don't know this. You got to come back in like 10 years and see if that actually was the case. But with this, it's like, man, it's been almost 30 years. I can confidently say that moment changed my life because the, the trajectory I was on and the people I was hanging out with then versus now are completely different. And the people now that I do feel I have their respect, um, I never would have gotten there without this day happening. Never. Like it never would have happened. And, and it, you know, I don't know. So it's, it's a weird feeling to feel sort of capable at something that I never thought I would feel capable at, especially at this age. That's the other thing that's bizarre to me is that I feel in ways more capable now than ever, even though I'm almost 50. And that's bizarre in, in its own way in terms of like what I thought aging was going to be. Well, I think that that's one of the things that that traumatic experience can make someone feel is powerless. That's yes. one of the feelings yeah. of that, right? Yeah. And it's like, how can you get that back? Yeah. And what a great thing to say about jujitsu, right? Like yeah. jujitsu can empower you that way. Yeah, it, it definitely can. And I think that, um, you know, people say that a lot and, and, you know, it's funny because they're always like, oh, if, if everyone knew jujitsu, there wouldn't be any bullies or whatever. I'm like, I don't quite see how that math works because no. if, you bully, if you give Absolutely a bully better bully true. technology, they become a better bully. Um, <laughs> it. And it's, but it's, I'm glad that, cause I hear a lot of people, they're like, you know, people that we're, I'm friends with who are like, oh yeah, I thought none of this stuff was going to work on me. And I was just the opposite. I was like, 
I know literally nothing about fighting. Everybody here can beat me up. Like, and that was always my mentality about jujitsu, probably to its fault. I mean, probably to like too much um, starry eyedness on my part, but I had zero confidence in that. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting because I, I know other people that came into it, like one guy in particular, a buddy of ours, where uh, the first jiu-jitsu instructor he had, they're like, oh yeah, in competition, no one's ever even scored a point on him. And our buddy was like, oh, that's about to change. Once he gets, once I get a hold of him, that's going to change real quick. You know what I mean? Like that was his mentality coming into his first class. So it's like, there's, there's people that have that mentality and I'm glad like I never had false confidence, but I had no confidence, like zero in my ability to do any damage to another adult male human being. This is like a straight testimonial for jujitsu. It is, even though I feel like jujitsu was not particularly helpful in the environment in which it was taught um, or the people that participated at the time were not very good people. The Oklahoma Jiu-Jitsu Mafia, amongst others, and, and things like that <laughs> back in the day. Um, but my mentality was like, I have to learn this. Like, I have to learn. Like, my life depends on this. And I think that's what kept me coming back because it certainly wasn't like, oh, it's so much fun. I thought it was awful. I thought it was miserable. I got cauliflower ear like right away. And I'm like, okay, well, now I have this. I can't be a poser and have crappy ears and suck at jujitsu. So I have to keep doing it. But it was never like, it wasn't until much later that it became fun. It was not enjoyable to me at all. But I felt like I have to do this. Like, I, I'm like, it was a weird feeling. It was weird to also like literally sign up for jujitsu classes having never seen jujitsu before. Like I literally, I went to Alaska. I worked. So you had no idea that it was a, it was a grappling martial art. I knew it was grappling and I'd seen a little tiny bit of it, but it was like, I had actually already in my mind, I went to uh, Petersburg, Alaska in the summer of 1995. And I worked um, an average of a hundred to 110 hours a week in a fish factory um, wow. unloading boats, icing boats, clearing docks, doing stuff like that with uh, fishing boats for the salmon season in Alaska. And my whole goal was like, okay, I'm going to make enough money for, for a year of school and I'm going to make enough money for jujitsu, even though I literally had never seen jujitsu before, but I'm like, I'm doing this. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I know that I'm doing it. I, I bought jujitsu sight unseen. Like, because I, I knew that like, okay, if this is what helps you legitimately beat somebody up. I have to learn this. Like it was a weird feeling. Um, and it's just funny because I, I just always hear people talk about like they saw it and they're like, oh, this would be fun or whatever. And it was never that for me. It was always like this is a necessity, at least in the beginning. So, but yeah, that, that was my, my. Uh, what a pivotal how, moment in your life. Yeah. What a pivotal yeah. moment in your life. Yeah. And that's the thing that I wish I could understand more. And, um, I'm fascinated with knowing that why some, I, I think most people would probably have these pivotal moments in their lives, but they don't always turn out as what we would consider a success story. They I go. Have, I have, yeah, I agree. I actually, I mean, real quick, I got another one. That's a guy who was a good friend of mine at the time where it kind of went the other way. And it's partly the fault of jujitsu, the way it was taught back then. And what I mean by that is basically they would beat the shit out of you. And the idea was, oh, if you're tough enough, you'll come back. 
That's that that's very that. much how it was in boxing. In boxing, yeah. I don't know if it's that way now, but it was when I was. Yeah, boxing's notorious for it. And boxing, I understand because being a boxing trainer is no fun and there's no money in it. But jujitsu, even back then, was fairly expensive. So it's like, dude, you're kind of like pissing away some lucrative clients here by doing this. But so I had a buddy who um, he he come from a wrestling background. So I mean, he he definitely was was um, going to be more, you know, had that coming in. And he had done a little bit of jujitsu at some, um, they had like a lot of clubs back in the mid nineties. There was like, okay, if somebody had a blue belt or taken a few classes, you knew more than anybody else. So like, a little bit of that. And then he went to train at, um, is at Megatons. So Megaton is in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. It's a uh, Mackenzie Dern who fights in the UFC. It's her dad. Um, he was one of the first jujitsu schools outside of LA in America. And Megaton was notorious back then for just beating the crap out of people. And so, you know, my buddy went to Megatons and that's what they did. And that was it. He never went back to jujitsu. And I still said, I'm not paying for this. Yeah. And I mean, like he, you know, he's, he's a guy who's still, I mean, you know, I still talk to him and he, uh, he has struggled a lot in his life with a lot of different things. And I still fully believe in my heart, had he come back to jujitsu, his life would have been completely different because that, in that moment, he became a quitter when something was hard. And I mean this in the most respectful way, but that's who he is in everything. And I really do believe that had he just come back for another class, his life would have been different. So it's weird. And actually that was, he did that, I think before I had my first jujitsu class. So I was already like, you know, my best friend at the time was like, this stuff ain't for me. And, you know, even then I was like, I don't care. I, I have to do this. Like, it was still like, so it didn't matter like what somebody said or whatever. Um, I was like, I have to do this. So, so yeah, no, I, I did know somebody who went the opposite way. Um, and maybe had he had something that I experienced before that, then maybe he would have had the same mentality. I, I don't know, but I, I do honestly think his life would have turned out vastly differently in a better way had he stuck with it. So I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm just immensely thankful for the people in my life. And it's, it is all directly related to that because it gave me, um, I don't know, it, just, it gave me everything in a lot of ways. It, it really has. And it's gave me the peer group that I have. And when I look at you guys, I'm always like, these guys are, are badass guys. And I have their respect and sometimes I don't know why, but sometimes I do. I'm like, I'm, I'm decent. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Um, and I'm like, it's bizarre to me because if you had seen me at like 17 with my bleach blonde hair playing in the marching band and somebody like Jeff had seen me, Jeff would be like, I'm just going to kick this guy's ass for the rest of his life. And that would be true, but still. He's having, he would have more trouble now than he would have had I not done jujitsu. I mean, like, it's like literally all, like, I think about that. I'm like, what would have happened if I met these guys in high school? I'm like, they would have terrorized me. They would have all beat me up. <laughs> it would have been awful. So it, it yeah, it was, it was just something that I'm very thankful for. And, and that'll be 30 years in, in a year from now too, which is, uh, that's pretty awesome. So. So 30, that still, would be 30 years of doing jujitsu as well. Uh, no, that'll be 20. So it was a couple of years before I found jujitsu. Jujitsu was still at that point 
was basically just at the Gracie Academy in Torrance. And I don't think they'd even opened up the academy at that point. So um, I would not have, it would have been very, very hard to find jujitsu at that point. But, um, you know, it still took a couple years to find it because I, I didn't really officially start jujitsu until like two years after that moment. But it is absolutely what, what motivated it. Happened. I think we need to continue the story in the next podcast. <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah. So where do you find jujitsu and where are you tra- training at and yeah. all the other little things that happen in between? It's such an interesting yeah. story. It's yeah, such no, a powerful one Yeah, there's a because line. there's a lot of people that go through these uh, situations. I don't think that your situation is unique no. at all. I, I think there's tons of people and they may not ever say it, but you can kind of tell the ones that are in there because something has happened in their yeah. life where they feel they need jujitsu. Yeah. And they chose, in my opinion, correctly. They, yeah. They're choosing to control what they can control yep. and trying to empower themselves as yeah. a, as opposed to having a victim mentality and just hoping that that never happens again because yeah. that, that is a powerless feeling. It really is. And, and it's um, – I mean the way I look at it, people are always like, well, you're never going to be this. You're never going to be that. And it's like a lot of that is always an external comparison towards some champion, some professional athlete, some professional fighter. And the way I look at it is like, man, I think you're comparing the wrong things because the way I look at it is here is you without this skill, without this knowledge, here is you with it. And you with it is an immensely better version of of yourself. And that's all you can control. So I want to be the best possible version of me. And that's doing this. And that's, that's all you can hope for. Cause it's like, you know, yeah, it's, you know, you know, Kevin and I have these conversations about like, and what if, what if, they had to fight Kobe in the street or whatever. Like I would lose, I mean, like 10 times out of 10, but I would lose a lot worse if I was untrained. I know that much. I would still lose. I mean, there's still people, I mean, you train with dudes. It's like, dude, you're never going to beat this dude, but you're going to do a lot better than you would if you knew nothing. And that's, I mean, that's all you can hope for. I mean, like that's, you know, you know it's just, it's being the best version of yourself. So, <laughs> and then making sure that your friends have a sense of humor. <laughs> I love it. Mike Drop. Boom. To check out this episode or to re-listen to our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Live. Check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic. Robles, check out Yellow Pine Investments. Check out Quantum Leap Web Design. As always, IMO, that is Carter. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.